Well, good morning, Branch Church. It's a blessing to be with you all here, all of our church family online, as we gather together this morning and continue our worship through the hearing of God's word this morning. There's a gentleman, Steve Wynn. He's the founder of Wynn Resort and Casino. And he tells a story when they went to Paris as a family. And so in Paris, they stayed at the Four Seasons Hotel and they ordered breakfast in bed. Can't go wrong with that, right? And his daughter got a croissant. She ate half of the croissant and she wanted to leave the other half for later, you know, in case she wanted it. So she left it and they went out and they explored Paris. And then when she got back, uh, she was very disappointed to find that the croissant was gone. And so being upset, room service took it, or or, uh, housekeeping took it, threw it away, feeling very disappointed. She was really looking forward to that croissant. And then they found a message on their telephone inside the hotel room. And the message said this, front desk called and let them know that housekeeping found uh, that half croissant and decided that they would probably want a fresh pastry when they return. So they disposed of it. They let the kitchen know to make a fresh pastry. And all they needed to do was to call room service and let them know when they wanted it and it would be delivered right to them. Steve Wynn recalls the moment being magical as you had four different departments all working in oneness together. You had housekeeping contacted at the front desk, talking to housekeeping, talking to the kitchen, all working in perfect unison. I think that this story of oneness is amazing. The staff working in oneness of mind, oneness in action, oneness in purpose. And when they did it, did people recognize it? Absolutely. When they focused on their goal of customer satisfaction, it it, it made such an impact that they not only recognized it, they were blessed by it. And now they're telling the world about their experience. I think the church should hear this story of oneness. And now we are going to hear what Jesus prays in John chapter 17. And as we turn there, we are going to learn this, that Jesus calls the church to be one. He calls us to be one in his revealed truth for this reason. So the grace of the father would be recognized. We'll talk about oneness. We'll talk about what grace of the father Jesus is referring to. Turn with me, please, to John chapter 17, beginning in verse one. As you are turning there, prayer is a special gift that God gives to his people whereby we get to talk with God and commune with him. Now, I don't know if you know this, you probably do. Prayer is not a place where we inform God of anything. God, in case you missed the news today, there's something really bad. God, in case you missed what so-and-so did, my heart hurts and I think you should know about it. He knows. He knows fully, instantly, completely, any and everything you could possibly think of or that might happen to you. So what happens in prayer? Prayer is a place where you take your needs, your wants, your desires, and you depend on God for them. Prayer is a place of worship where you are by faith depending on God to take care of you with all the hurts, bumps, and bruises. Jesus is gonna pray for three groups. The first group is himself. Second group, he's gonna pray for his current disciples. And the third group is going to be us, the future church. So let's begin together in John 17, beginning in verse one. We're gonna read the first five verses and hear what Jesus prays for himself. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. 
glorify your son that your son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all that you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now father glorify me in your presence, your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I wanna begin with the structure of these first five verses. This is what I can perceive. It looks like what we call a chiastic or a chiastic structure. A chiastic structure is where you have parallel thoughts that run next to each other, and then they converge at one main point that stands out above the rest. So if you think of an arrow, it's got the, the ends and then it goes into a point. At each point of the arrow, there's a parallel to the other side and the thoughts match and they complement each other. And then it derives at a single point that stands out, hits home, but it's still connected to everything else. Do you feel like scholars yet? Yes. So Jesus prays in verse one and verse five, glorify your son. Those are parallel thoughts and they're going to complement and build on each other. When Jesus prays to be glorified in verse one, what is he saying? Simply he's praying this, father accomplish your salvation through the death of your son. How do we know that? He says this, father, the hour has come. What hour? The hour of his death, where he will sacrifice himself for the sins of the world, for the sins of his people. And he prays, father, accomplish that. How amazing is that? That Jesus, not wanting to die, a horrible death under the wrath of God, separated from the father, said in his own words right here, your will be done. This is another way of saying like the other gospels, your will be done. What love the son had for you and for me, what love he had to submit to the father's plan to save the world. Parallel that, he now says, glorify your son again. This glorifies a little bit different. The first one is glorify me through a gory death. The second one is glorify me that has clothed me with splendor. Jesus wants to be clothed with splendor. This is a prayer to depend on God, to raise him from the dead and to exalt him to the right hand of the father. Now, these are gonna to progress towards a great purpose here to the glory of the father that he would be glorified. And ultimately he's gonna go to verse two and four. I have the authority to do this, to die. I have accomplished this. He's already speaking in full terms. And then it converges on this point, eternal life, eternal life. Why does Jesus want to be glorified? To bring life to us. He has the authority to do it. He has accomplished it. And then he defines eternal life. This is so cool. Eternal life is not defined as life forever although that's true. Eternal life is not defined as this beautiful place with Willy Wonka chocolate factory, diamonds and things and chocolate rivers, although that may be true, but it will be a beautiful place nonetheless. How is eternal life defined? As a relationship with God and Jesus Christ. Eternal life is defined, it is pictured as a trusting relationship with God. That is life. It may not be what you think, but it's actually better than what you think. Growing up in elementary school, I had a good friend and I would go to their house. There were five boys. He was the oldest boy. Him and I were really good friends. And I still remember 
sitting at his table, dim lights, looking towards the kitchen this way. And I was asked, Sean, would you like an ice cream sandwich? And here's what I pictured, a big scoop of vanilla ice cream between two sourdough pieces of bread. And I mean thick ones, the Costco ones. And I thought, no way, I don't want that. So they said, fine. She went and she got out the ice cream sandwiches and they began to eat them in front of me. So I had no idea that's what the ice cream sandwich was. That's got chocolate and vanilla and it's a perfect little rectangle and it fits in your hand. And yes, I really would like one of those. Why didn't you tell me that's what it was? I didn't know. Heaven, it may not be what you think. You may think of it as two sourdough pieces of bread with vanilla ice cream. It is far better than that because it is a relationship with God. Someone once asked, if you could have all of heaven, but God wasn't there, would it still be heaven? You could have all of heaven. You wouldn't, you wouldn't sin. All your friends and loved ones were there. All your inheritance, all the, everything you could want. Would it still be heaven? The answer is no, because there is no heaven. There is no new earth. There is no true life without a relationship with God Almighty, that's what you were made for. And if you remove God from the equation, you're empty. Think about it in this life. You could have everything, but if you're all by yourself in the middle of nowhere, it sure is not the same. But you could have someone you love, have nothing, and you could still have an element of being full. Heaven is not heaven without God. Did the Father answer Jesus's prayer here? Oh, you better believe it. We haven't got there just yet, but the father answered Jesus's prayer. Jesus is the divine son of God, but we see his humanity on display because he depends on God to carry out salvation, to raise him from the dead, and then to save the very people that the father gave to him to save. What an amazing prayer to look back on and see the love, the sacrifice, and the meaning of eternal life. Jesus now is gonna pray for his current disciples. Verse six, he says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Jesus says, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine is yours and all yours are mine and I am glorified in them. Jesus says, before he gets to the actual prayer request, I have made known, I've manifested your name. What does that mean? Jesus has revealed the nature. He has revealed the character and the very words of the father to his disciples. And Jesus has declared they have received that. They have actually believed it. You go, I don't know, Sean. I've read the rest of John and they're about to do something really foolish and leave Jesus alone and scatter. Do they really believe? Well, let's, let's find a balance here. Yes, they really do believe Jesus is Messiah, but they have a not complete understanding of it. If you go back to John chapter six, Jesus said, eat my flesh, drink my blood. What happened to most disciples in that conversation? That teaching is way too difficult. I'm not understanding that. Let's all bounce. And they left and they walked out and he turns to his disciples. Hey, you guys want to leave too? Peter says, where else shall we go? You are the one who has the words 
of eternal life. So they did believe. They did have a measure of understanding. They will bomb on it coming up really soon, but they did believe. Here's Jesus's prayer request for them. He says, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I'm coming to you. He says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Jesus prays that the Father, well, first of all, he calls him Holy Father. If you had to pick just two words to describe God, these might be the best two words to put together. Might just be. Holy describes the transcendence of God. Here's the earth. Here's creation. God is transcendent. He's holy. He is separate. He is other than his creation. That, that line cannot be messed up. He is holy. And that goes along with purity and perfection, but he's also father. He is hands-on within his creation. Two of the best words. He is separate, but he is completely hands-on within. And Jesus prays, Father, keep them in your name, which could mean one of two things. It could mean keep them by the power of your name, or it could mean keep them in the truth, the revelation truth of your name that Jesus gave to them. I think the second one is more accurate because of that word in. Keep them in your name. What did Jesus do? He revealed, he manifested God to them. And now he's praying, God, I want you to keep them in that truth. Don't let them fall away. Keep them. It's a prayer of perseverance to have received the truth, which they did now to believe and to continue to walk in it. Why does Jesus pray this? That they would be one. There's a word. Did you see it throughout the whole service? We've been singing it. Chuck read it in our time of prayer. We prayed over it. One, this is it. This is huge. Jesus prays that they would be one, just like he and the father are one. What does that mean? We talked about it. John chapter 10, verse 30. And we saw there that the father and the son are one in the sense of being one in action, one in purpose, one in mission. Jesus prays that they would receive, well, they have received, they would continue to walk in that truth and be one in mission and one in purpose with that truth. Years ago, I went to a tracks conference. Tracks spelled without the K, T-R-A-C-S. It is a Christian accrediting body that accredits Christian schools. And we had the branch college at the time, we were trying to get accredited. And one of the speakers there told the story believe it was there, told the story about a hotel, another hotel one. And in this hotel, everyone had to know the mission of the hotel. You could be on the third floor, you could be the janitor. And if the manager walked by, he says, hey, Bob, how you doing? Doing good. Hey, what's the mission of the hotel? You had to tell him right there on the spot. You could be the front desk clerk, checking people in. You have a few minute break, manager walks by. Hey, how's it going? How are the, the guests? Oh, by the way, what's the mission of this hotel? And they had to be able to tell right there. My understanding is that everyone, the parking lot attendant, housekeeping, the kitchen, the executives, everybody had to know the mission of that hotel at the drop of a hat when asked. Could you tell someone the mission of the church if they asked you right now? If we were at Costco and we bumped into each other and we're getting an awesome sample. It's acai day, and we're getting acai samples. Can you believe it? They finally got this one out. And I said, hey, what's the mission of the church? Do you think you could tell me? Now, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but we need to do this, and I need to do a better job communicating it to the church as a whole. We cannot lose sight of this because this is a part of being one. What is the mission? 
in my own words, particularly from the gospel of John, here's the mission of the church. The mission of the church is to glorify God. That's the mission, to glorify God. How do we do that? By bearing fruit in Christ and making disciples in the gospel. There is an upward, an inward, and an outward focus, a three element that we cannot lose sight of. We exist to worship God and we recognize, we honor, we praise who he is and what he has done. Internally, we get together and we build each other up. It's called being edified. And we're strengthened in what we believe. And we walk out going, yeehaw, that's what I'm talking about. Maybe not the yeehaw part. (laughs) And then outward, what do we do? We take that gospel message to the lost. We share with our friends and family. We bear fruit, righteous things for the glory of God and show off his goodness. We cannot lose sight of all three, any of those. If we do, we will be in big trouble as a church. I think we do a very good job at the upward and the inward. I think the outward we need to grow in. And I need to do a better job of leading us in that. I had a friend and he showed me this bell curve like this. And it's the trajectory of a church. Grows, 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 plateaus, and then dies. Do you know what causes it to die? When people stop reaching out. We stop inviting people. We stop sharing gospel. We cannot ever lose sight of that. I don't know if you've noticed. If you've been here with us to the gospel of John, you have to notice what's going on in John. Every single story is hammering home belief in Jesus because that's the most important thing, the most important decision someone will make in their life. And I know some of us are in really hard places where you feel like gospel sharing, I can barely get out of bed. I'm struggling and that's okay. It's okay to struggle and you could depend on God in that. And I pray that God would still give you the strength to be a light even in that struggle, whatever it might look like. What's the mission of the church? Could you say it? Could you know it? I hope you will. Take it home with you. Remember it because that will help us to stay focused and to be one in the way that Jesus wants us to be one. Jesus continues. He's going to elaborate on this prayer for his disciples at this time. Verse 12. Jesus says, while I was with them, I kept them in your name. That is to say, Jesus protected them in the truth he revealed about God to them. He says, which you have given me, I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. John gives a little clarity. There was one who was lost, but it wasn't Jesus's fault. Scripture foresaw this. He's a son of destruction. He made his own choice. We know his name. His name is Judas who decided to betray Jesus. And we will see that next week. Verse 13, Jesus says, but now I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. This whole final discourse before Jesus leaves, chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, this whole time Jesus is preparing them for his absence. And there are some major things. He wants them to believe certain things so they can be strong and they can be persevering and all that. But two things that really stand out in conjunction with this verse. As he leaves, he wants us to have peace and joy. What's the fruit of the spirit? Love, joy, peace. Two of those things right away. And love's a big part of that as well. Three of the first attributes of the fruit that Paul describes is hammered home here. This is amazing. That means Jesus has given you and me enough truth 
that with him not here right now in the physical flesh, you can have peace and joy. You can have peace knowing your salvation is secure and that you're okay in Christ. You can have joy knowing you can delight in everything he's done. You can delight in who he is in heaven mediating for you. You can delight that he's coming back to rescue us from our sins. You can delight that God is sanctifying you by his grace, never leaving you, never forsaking you in the gospel. Isn't that amazing? You can have that because Jesus gave it to us before he left. Thank you, Lord, for that gift. And maybe you haven't opened that gift yet. Today's a great day to open that gift and to say, thank you, Lord, I believe in you. Verse 14, he says, I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. What makes you of the world? What makes someone not of the world? Really simple. It depends on what you do with the gospel of Jesus. If you receive that gospel, you have pledged allegiance to Jesus and you've said no to the philosophy, the ideology, and the morality of the world. When you do that, the world squares off against you and says, we don't like you. We're not on your team. Yep, I'm not on your team. Definitely don't want to be on your team. Verse 15, he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So Jesus doesn't ask a new prayer request here, but he expounds upon verse 11. Remember, he prays, keep them in your name. And verse 15, I don't ask that you take them out, but that you keep them from. So Jesus's prayer for protection and the truth is not one where he's asking that God would take them out of the world and make everything perfect, but that God would protect them while they're in the world and give them perseverance to make it through. Jesus wants them protected from the evil one. Who is the evil one? Satan. Satan is coming full on at Jesus during his life ministry. But when Jesus leaves, who is he going to turn to? The church wants to gobble up the church. So now we, in a little more of a direct way, receive the brunt of his evilness, his power and his schemes. But the Lord has prepared us even for this. He taught us how to pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Another way to say, protect us from that guy. Paul also told us that God has given us something else, the armor of God, where you get to put the attributes of God on, protect your mind, your heart, your waist, your feet. You get a shield and a sword. Who doesn't want to wear all that? I mean, that is rad. That is so cool. We know what to pray. We know about his schemes and we stand in that armor of salvation, righteousness, peace, truth. We block it with our shield of faith. We have the word of God and we stand against the schemes of the devil. Jesus prays for his disciples that they would stay in the truth of God and they would stand against the evil one who does not want them to. What does the devil want to do? He wants to tempt you, to tempt you away from God, whether it's into moral sin, whether it's unto unbelief, whatever it is, he wants to push you away. But Jesus knows this and he already prays and depends upon the father to protect his people. And will the father protect his people? Absolutely. Not one will be lost. That is truly the people of God. Verse 17, this is going to expound on this prayer again. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. 
Keep them in the truth you've given them, protect them in the truth as they walk this earth, and then have them be set apart by that truth. Set apart for what? For mission. Set apart to actually serve the Lord. What is it that enables you to actually be saved? The truth of God. What's going to protect you in this world? The truth of God. What will set you apart so you can actually serve God? The truth of God, the truth, the word, everything is given us is what we need to be, to rest, and to serve him. Jesus says, as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. The mission Jesus received to come and go is passed on to the disciples. They are now to go with that same truth. And then Jesus tells us this, and this is so great. He says, I did it first. I consecrated, I set myself apart to live for this truth from the Father. You now have an example. And what do we do? We walk in his footsteps, experiencing the peace, the joy of the Father, but also the suffering that comes along with it because the world will not like you. And that is Jesus's prayer for his current disciples. He prays that they would be persevered in that truth and that truth would set them apart. We can't lose anything he's talking about here. Believing the truth, persevering in it, and witnessing together, all so they could be one. Jesus now turns and he prays for the church. He prays for you and me. Aren't you curious? I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. It's the same prayer. This is great. You already know so much about oneness because we've talked about it, that we would be one in mind and spirit and heart, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Now, I don't need to repeat oneness or the purpose of it. We've talked about it, but here's something he says, for this reason, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Part of oneness is witness. And one of the greatest witnesses we can have is to be unified. Sam Chan, in his book, Evangelism in a Skeptical World, he tells the story. I'm going to modify it a little bit, but you'll get the idea. Ten guys are having a barbecue in a backyard. One of them speaks up and says, hey, I saw an alien in my backyard last night. What are the other nine going to think of him? All right, Bob, you're a little crazy. Just nod. Everybody just nod. Just nod, and maybe he'll stop. Just, just nod. Four more people jump in. Yo, Bob, I saw the same alien in your backyard. What are the other six going to think now? Maybe Bob's not so crazy. Maybe there's something to it. Three more people jump in. Now seven people are all saying it and they're confirming in unity what they saw, the shape, the size, the color, all of it. What are the other three now going to think? Holy cow, maybe this really did happen. Now they're much more open to listen because the unified witness makes that situation more plausible. Keyword, it makes it more plausible. When we are unified together in our witness, it shows off the Lord in a beautiful, powerful way where the world goes, you know, maybe this really is true. Maybe I will listen to what you have to say. Now, plausibility can totally work in the reverse, right? A lot of people can get together and tell a lie and convince people otherwise, and we see that, but that doesn't negate the principle that we're looking at. Unity is a powerful witness to our Lord, and it's one that he wants us to have. Verse 22, Jesus says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. What glory is that? It's another way of saying the truth, the revealed truth the father gave to the son, the son gave to the disciples. 
he says this, that they may be, here it is again, one, even as we are one. Do you think he'll say it again? I in them and you and me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them even as you love me. He's repeating here, which means it's important. So I'm not going to go over that. I'm just going to say that. But he adds something here. Not just so the world would know the Lord, but so the world would know that the Father has loved them even as he loved the Son. We have the truth as Christians, do we not? You know what else we have? The love of the Father. And when we unify over the truth of God and we unify with that love he's given to us, the world takes notice and they go, oh man, what's going on in this group of people over here? We've been given the grace of God. We talked about at the beginning. So the world may see the grace, what grace? That Jesus is Messiah and that God has given us his love, the same love he has given to his son. Does the world notice when people love other people? You betcha. We notice the crazy things. We notice the offbeat things. We notice the sweet way in which people do it. But when people come together from all different ethnicities and backgrounds and ages and social structures and everything that we do, and we come together and we love one another like we're family, do you think the world notices that? Oh, you better believe it. The world notices. And they notice when you go to work and you don't use profanity. And they notice when you work hard. And they notice when you treat people well. And they also notice when you don't. Part of our witness is not just holding to the truth, but extending that love. Sean, I have a really hard time extending his love. Then you sit and you receive and you meditate on the love he's given to you. And the more you think and you know that, the more it will flow out from you. How could you not love other people? Look how he loved you. Man, my spouse is really getting up. How did Jesus love you? My kids are driving me. How did Jesus love you? And when did he love you? Take a deep breath. You can pass on that love too. You may need a time out, but that's okay. Take a time out. <laughs> Verse 24, it seems here that Jesus goes back to his original disciples in this last part. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Jesus has a desire, and this is his personal desire. He wants his disciples to see him as he was in his glory with the Father. Jesus has humbled himself greatly. I think about this. Yeah, I would probably feel the same way. If I've been married for 20 years and my spouse never saw me looking good, at my best, feeling good, I would want them to see that. If I had kids for all these years and they never saw me at my best, but everything was just awful, horrible, and I never showered and all that kind of stuff, I'm not saying Jesus didn't shower, but you get the idea. You'd want them to see that. I remember when my daughter was born, my first daughter, 2018, last day of the year, I wanted her to see my beard. I know it's not impressive, but it was mine, and I wanted her to see it and like it and like me. I don't know. We think weird things. I don't know if I care so much anymore, but <laughs> the Lord wants his people to see him as he truly is. And I think we could understand that. And one day we will get to see that. Won't that be amazing? Amen. You'll get to see Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter who worked with his hands, who had those very hands with nails that went through them in his feet. And yet he will be in such glory. It's like, how do we recognize? I don't know. It'll all work out somehow. 
He says, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue, I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Jesus is going to continue to make known the truth of God. How? Through his cross, through his resurrection, and possibly even the giving of the Spirit. Today we have seen in John 17, Jesus' humanity on full display as he is taking his desires and the things that mean a lot to him, and he's depending on the Father to answer them. And will the Father answer them? You better believe it. You better believe it. Today we have learned that Jesus calls us as the church to be one in his truth, to be one in his revealed truth, to be one in the word of God, so the world would see the grace of the Father. What grace? That Jesus is the sent Messiah and that he has loved us just as he loved the Son. How do we respond to this? We want to seek to keep the unity the Spirit has given us. We want to walk in the oneness that he has given us, one in mind, one in action, one in purpose. I put it on your screen. Three things, one in faith. We want to be one together in what we believe and confessing that belief. We want to be one in love. We've received Christ's love. You've received the Father's love, and we want to extend that to each other. And lastly, one in witness. There's a lot more that could be said, a lot more questions that would need to be answered. But at the very least, here's the heart. You walk away, we want to be one and unified and walk in this as best as we can by God's grace. Amen. We're going to respond now and continue our worship through confession. We are going to confess where we fall short in this area, whether it's uh, us personally or just the church as a whole, and ask that the Lord would have, have mercy, help us. This means so much. Lord, help us to mean it to us. And I'm going to give you time to do that personally in your heart. I want you to respond. And then I will lead us in a time of thanksgiving and praise of it. And then we will finish with one more praise song. Amen. Amen. Gracious Father, forgive us for the ways we have lacked unity and oneness. May you please guide us into what that looks like for us. It gets complex sometimes in some areas, and, but, but we trust in your spirit that you've brought it and you're going to continue to shape and work it in our lives. Protect us in the oneness. Protect us from the devil. And Lord, we, we respond now and just thank you that you have prayed such a prayer Father, you have answered such a prayer. Holy Spirit, you are with us in such a prayer. And Lord, we trust that you will keep us, protect us. And thank you for your mercy on us continually. Thank you for the sanctifying work you're doing in this area. And I pray you'd help us to be such oneness that people would be like Steve Wynn and they walk out going, wow, what an experience. I was loved by four, five, 10 Christians in the past 10 days. I don't know. It's like God's trying to talk to me or move me to him. I don't know. Lord, let that witness shine so that people can know the grace of you, Father, in Jesus Christ. Lord, be glorified in this time, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.